Isaiah chapter 11, starting with verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Father, we ask again, Lord, this same Holy Spirit that we just read about, Lord, this same Holy Spirit that speaks forth truth from your word, Lord, we pray that Jesus, Spirit of Christ, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak even now to each and every heart. Lord, you'd bring correction where it's needed, conviction, comfort, chastening, Lord, teaching, counsel, Lord, all of these things that only the Spirit can provide. Lord, we pray that you would just fall afresh on this place. Lord, these are not my words. These are the words of the very Spirit of God. Lord, we pray that we would not be hearers only, Lord, but you would, by your Spirit, raise us up to be doers of your word, not in our own strength, but in the strength of your Spirit, not by our power, which is none, but by your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for we know that you are here, and we know that you desire that we learn these things more than we even desire to learn them. In your name we pray. Amen. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the work of the Spirit? What is the ministry of the Spirit? Does, does the Spirit operate differently today than in times past? That's a valid question that many people ask. Is the Spirit of God overemphasized or is it underemphasized? Is the Spirit's mis- ministry misunderstood? Is it misrepresented? Some of these questions and others along these lines, I hope that we'll be able to answer and they'll be clarified in our study together this week and next week. And frankly, we would need many more weeks to to study all the facets of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is something I felt led to do in anticipation of our study of the book of Luke, uh, because the Spirit, uh, I want us to be able to see it moving through the whole study of the book of Luke, and I also uh, felt, feel that the Lord wants us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit as it relates to us praying for revival. So those two things, working in concert, are going into the book of Luke, and also as we're praying for revival, and really that we would be the Spirit-filled men and women of God that God's called us to be. But all of these questions, and many more, uh, abound in the body of Christ, don't they? Some of the names of the Holy Spirit that you may or may not be aware of, all these are in the Scripture, the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the Spirit of the Living God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of His Son, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Fire, the Spirit of Judgment, the Spirit of Burning, the Spirit of Holiness, the spirit of truth, the spirit of life, the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, the promised Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit, the counselor, the helper. Numerous other scriptural terms refer to the Holy Spirit with names such as the breath of God, almighty fire, oil, a dove, the cloud, living water, latter rain, baptism, just to name a few. Does some of those sound familiar to you? Hey, I, yeah, I, some of you are reading in the Old Testament, some of you are reading in the New Testament, some of you are reading in the Apostles, some of you are reading, and you will have seen these different things lift off the pages because all of these represent the Holy Spirit. Some in very definite names and some in imagery, illustrative of the work of the Spirit. Then we have for the believer, and not just the New Testament believer, but 
those that believed in God and it was counted unto them as righteousness, just like Abraham. But we have, for the believer, we have things like the seal of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, the gifts, the power, and the outworking of the Holy Spirit. We have the command to walk in the Spirit, don't we? We have the command to worship in the Spirit. We have the command to live in the Spirit. We have the command to love in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit, and to be witnesses of Christ in the Spirit. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. The question is this. Is the church truly, I mean the, the, the church, church in the United States, our church, church around the world, is the church being led by and filled by the immense power of the Holy Spirit? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is the church being led by and filled by the immense How immense is the power of the Holy Spirit? How large is the universe? The Spirit is larger. God holds the universe in the palm of His hand. And yet for us, as best we can tell, it's infinite. Dunamos power. Dynamic. Or, instead of being filled and led by the immense power of the Holy Spirit, are we settling for or trying to be spiritual... Right? You even got the same word in there, right? Spiritual. Are we trying to be spiritual? Or experiential. How about that? Trying to be experiential. Trying to conjure up what the Spirit actually looks like, but not really the full article, the real thing. Or are we substituting the methods of man? That's a real temptation, isn't it? The methods of man to demonstrate some measure and power of the Holy Spirit. Man, we could do that with technology. We could do it with music. Couldn't we? We can try and show something that looks like the Holy Spirit, but is it really the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not indicting this. I'm asking the question. And you have to ask it yourself. How about you individually? You and me, ourselves, Not everybody else, but just you yourself, me, myself. Are you and I seeing the genuine work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? A lot of times it's easier to look at some other larger group, isn't it? Than to go back and look in the mirror and say, Do I walk, experience, talk, pray in the Holy Spirit? Uh, Pastor Lloyd Pulley up in New Jersey In his book, Under His Influence, he says this. He said, as a pastor today, it grieves me to see the number of Christians, even in my own fellowship, who are still caught in the bondage of trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. Or, worse yet, those who have given up trying altogether and have settled for a life of compromise and backsliding. Christians need to understand the incredible resource that we have been given in the Holy Spirit and how He can empower our lives on a continual basis. I agree with everything Pastor Lloyd has to say there. Andrew Murray in his book, Experiencing the Holy Spirit, and we're going to learn a little bit more about what God did in the life of Andrew Murray uh, next week, but in his book, Experience the Holy Spirit, on page 64 it says this, he said, I have spoken of those who suppose that the full blessing of Pentecost was only for the first Christian community. Others are willing to acknowledge that it was intended also for the church of latter times, but still think that all are not entitled to expect it. They might quite reasonably say, my unfavorable unfavorable circumstances, my unfortunate disposition, my lack of real ability, and similar difficulties make it impossible for me to realize this ideal. God will not expect this at my hands, He has not destined me to obtain it. Do not not permit yourself to be deceived by such shallow views. All the members of a body, even to the very least, must be healthy before the body as a whole can be healthy. The indwelling, the fullness of the Spirit, is the health of the entire body of Christ, even if you are the most insignificant member of it. 
The blessing is for you in this respect. The Father makes no exceptions. Do you believe that? That the fullness of the Holy Spirit, God desires for every person in the body of Christ to walk in. Now, not everybody in the body of Christ walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and not every believer even in ancient times, even in the times before Christ, walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were still saved, but they were a great hindrance to themselves and many others. And that is not what we want to be, do we? Why? Because not only does God have a plan for us to be completely fully used, but as we're filled by the Spirit and as the Holy Spirit really moves and directs in our lives individually and corporately, the impact, the overflow, will be more people coming to Christ, more people encouraged, people healed even. There are times we're praying for things that are still hindered because not every person is filled and walking in the fulfillment of the Spirit. My desire for you and for this fellowship, my my personal desire, my personal prayer, is only, let me repeat that, only what Christ in the Word of God desires and prepared for us. That's my only desire. My only desire and prayer for you and for me is only what the Word of God specifically desires and specifically has prepared for us to walk in, to receive. How did we we come to salvation? We received it. We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. We didn't build it ourselves. We received it. What is the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit? It's something you receive from the Lord. But the reception of it is predicated us on us getting in the right position. Does that make sense? We must be in the right position. Just like we went through the study of the tabernacle, there were things that the priesthood, they had to be in a place of preparation. They could not enter into the holy place having not properly been prepared to receive from God. And you and I are called to do the same. Today I want to take the remainder of our time this morning to start by looking back at the prior work of the Holy Spirit so that next week when we gather together we can focus on the ministry of the Spirit today. We'll look at some of today as well, but I I want to look at today through the lens of going back. We need to go back first and look what God has done through the Spirit through the scriptures, and then we'll bring it forward to where we're at right now, and then we'll even continue that uh, to much greater extent next week. But we want to focus on the ministry of the Spirit uh, and, again, His desire for our lives and how the Spirit has always been the foundation of the ministry of God. Always been. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit, Part 1. Next week will be part two. So just so you you can already know that in advance. The work of the Holy Spirit, part one. And if you're taking notes, we'll look at five things briefly. We're not, this is not meant to be a exhaustive six-week study on each one of these things. It is meant to make sure that you're familiarized with the teaching of the Holy Spirit throughout the Scriptures, and then how we can really get into applying, all right, now what now? I live in 2013. I've been saved for six months, six weeks, six years, 40 years, whatever the case may be. What does the Spirit desire in me, in the body of Christ, in the ministries He's called me to? We'll look at all those things as well. But if you're taking notes, we'll look at the following. We'll look at before the Word, I mean before the world, the Holy Spirit before the world, before the law. You can just jot these down, and then as we go through, you can kind of put them as headings if you're taking notes. So again, before the world, before the law, before the priesthood, before the Messiah, and before the ascension. So you can see we'll focus more on the work of the Spirit after the ascension next week. But it's important to understand 
What did we just read from? We read from the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the book of Isaiah. That is not a New Testament book. That was written well before Jesus physically in flesh. We sang that song this morning, the Word became flesh. That was written by Isaiah well before the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But what was the Spirit doing prior, and what is the Spirit doing today and going forward? We'll look again more to the post-ascension work of the Spirit uh, next week, but we'll touch on some of that even this morning. But again, before the world, before the law, before the priesthood, before the Messiah, and before the ascension. Before the world. In Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to go too far before the Spirit shows up, do you? Most of you probably know this passage. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is before creation, before everything was brought into being, before man was created, before God breathed in him the Spirit of life. All of this, the Spirit was there with the Father. And we know that the Lord Jesus was there too. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all together, but the Spirit is hovering over, hovering. This would not be the last time the Spirit would hover over what God had, or whatever work God was doing. And this initial work was the work of creation. We're all we're all living witnesses of that original work, aren't we? The Spirit hovering over, speaking, breathing into existence. This in the beginning, even in verse 1 though, in the beginning God. The Hebrew word is Elohim. I'm sure you've heard that word before, or many of you probably had. It's actually a plural word of the singular word El. So Elohim is plural, so we even see in the first verse an allusion to the Holy Spirit in the context of the Trinity or the Godhead. In Genesis 1.26, it would later say in the same chapter, then God said, let us make man in our image. So we see the us is again the plurality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How do we know that the us is those three? Because in 1 John 5, 7, it says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, John 1, 1, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. They bear witness in heaven. They've always been in glory together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in the Trinity, the decision to create the universe, to create mankind. The Spirit is absolutely essential to that work. Eternally, before time, before space, outside of time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been together, always been together as the plurality of the Trinity. They're completely holy one, and yet completely separate and distinct. What a contradiction, right? For the human mind. Let's understand that, right? If you were talking to someone that has not been saved, or does not believe God, does not believe His Word, they'll tell you that those are two incongruent, two impossible things. Mutually exclusive would be the term that people would use. But with God, they actually come together completely one and completely distinctly separate. Completely separate, completely one. Jesus has the same kind of conundrum for us. He's all man and all God, doesn't he? We see another conundrum like this in in Scripture. They're not really conundrums once you just, that's why you have faith and you believe God. Jesus said you must believe We have another one that's called grace and free will. And they are completely 
joined together, and yet they're two separate things, together and separate. And so you have these things in the Scripture. Chuck Smith, uh, in his book, Living Water, he said this. He said, I, uh, Pastor Chuck said, I have no intention of trying to explain the Godhead. It is beyond the capacity of the human mind to fully comprehend. We must simply accept what the Scripture tells us. There is one God who is manifested in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well said, Pastor Chuck, who's now there with Isaiah, by the way. Isn't that great? G. Campbell Morgan explained the enigma in the intellectual grasping of the Trinity, which again is very difficult. He said, the idea of one essence subsisting after a threefold manner and in a trinity of relationships finds nothing in the phenomenon of nature upon which it can fashion as a sufficient symbol. Let me interpret that for you. G. Campbell Morgan wrote in a... That was back when schools were really good, by the way. In other words, there isn't a known symbol, form, or entity in the entire physical realm, or of the entire universe even, that can adequately illustrate or explain the triune nature of God. There's no example of it. God just says it. Isn't that cool? I like that there's things about God that no pastor, theologian, or anyone can explain whatsoever. It's one of the reasons he's God. Of the many reasons. There are certain things about God that he will never, ever have to prove. He simply says them. He says, I am three and I am one. And the three are never apart, and yet the three have a distinct work. Mark 4.11 It cites the mystery of the kingdom of God. In Romans 16.25, we have the mystery kept secret since the beginning of the world. In Ephesians 1.9, we have the mystery of His will. In Ephesians 3.4, we have the mystery of Christ. In Colossians 2.2, we have the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. And in 1 Timothy 3.16, we have the mystery of godliness. Even the writers of Scripture recognize that things they did understand still were beyond their understanding. That there was a mystery behind all of the great truths in Scripture that God gives us more than enough to understand, but understanding that some of it is still beyond our comprehension. And although we cannot even come close to fully understanding all the glorious mysteries of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit... We are given, we are given very clear and straightforward understanding of those things God wants us to know. Would you agree with that? How many of you parents have explained every single thing about your life, marriage, and everything else to your young children? Of course not. We are little illustrations. We're creating the image of God. There is a lot of things that you never discuss with your kids, though it has direct impact on them, doesn't it? Why? It's not something they need to know. Not yet. Some, not ever. True? There are many things that God will explain to you and I, and there's things that He will never explain until we get to heaven. Period. You don't need to know it. It would only mess with your mind. It would only cause you to be either prideful or more worried or something else. And God says, this much you must know and what you know, do. Right? But what about all this other stuff? You know, there's people that will never come to Christ because they're so worried about the things on the peripheral that they don't know. And that's not the relationship that children have with their parents. It's like, okay, that's good. So God's given us more than enough. Would you agree God's given us more than enough straightforward understanding? So much that even a child can understand it. The Scriptures tell us. There's other examples. Uh, When it comes to the Holy Spirit Himself, because I believe His ministry is really the least understood among people. The least understood. It's the least taught on. It's the least understood. People roll right over those passages and don't really capture what the Lord is uh, wanting us to understand. But we do understand, I think, more clearly, out of the gate, some of the character and nature of God. For example, John 3.16, we know, for God so 
loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we understand the character of God, that he loves the world, that he gives forth his only begotten son. We understand the earthly ministry of Jesus. We understand that he came specifically to die for sins. We understand that he came to teach. That he came to disciple. We understand that ministry. But less of the Holy Spirit, even though the scriptures are very clear, we can see very distinct aspects of the Spirit's ministry, the character of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. We know in the lives of the children of God, we know in the lives of the children of God that there are three empowering interactions with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is with us, in us, and upon us. Three empowering interactions. That this is what the Spirit desires in every single believer, that he be with us, in us, and upon us. Not every believer is experiencing all of that. Anyone that's a believer definitely has the in. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But not not every believer is experiencing the with and the upon. Does that make sense? Saved? Yes, sealed until the day of redemption, name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but the with the Spirit and the Spirit upon this full blessing of the Spirit that God desires that we would have. Now, in the New Testament, I'll give you an illustration that kind of helps understand the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at them side by side, and you'll see that it's a very similar view. Jesus said he did not come to get rid of the law, but to what? Fulfill it. I've taught on this before. The essence of that in the Hebrew, it means to fill it all the way up to the top. In other words, that God had begun, uh, the, the law was a foreshadowing, and it was still important. The law did not go away. Jesus just filled it all the way up. In other words, he expanded its full meaning. He filled the cup all the way. He didn't dump any out. If you had a half a glass of water and you filled the rest of the top, you didn't dump the one out and put in. You filled the rest because it's the same H2O that was already in the cup, and you're adding additional H2O, same elements, just filling it all the way up. And so Jesus came to fill up the ministry of the law, and of course he then expanded the full understanding of it, said, you've heard it said, you shall not you know, uh, commit murder, but I say even if you have hatred in your heart, right? He filled up the full meaning. He did not take it away, he filled the full measure of it. Not one jot or tittle will go away, correct? That's what he said, nothing would go, I will simply expand or fill up the full measure of it. Same thing, I believe, we see with the Holy Spirit. The empowering work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the saints is magnified and filled as the Spirit, as Jesus ascends, and we'll get to that, is magnified and expanded on what the Spirit has always been doing. And it's just like Jesus, again, his salvation is a gift of grace, right? It's a gift of grace. The work of the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace. One of his names, as I already read, is called the Spirit of Grace. The very very giving of the Spirit that Jesus will later give to every believer is a gift in and of itself, just like the gift of salvation, just like the gift of grace. The law is a gift. It's been a tutor bringing us to Christ. But the Spirit will magnify, the Spirit will fill up and expand this ministry And we see, again, what took place in the past moves forward. And we've talked about this as well with Midrash, the Jewish understanding of Scriptures. This is from a prophetic view. Remember that Midrash moves kind of like this. And it expands. But it's really the same elements continuing to perpetuate until the fullness has come. And even they talked about that. The fullness had come. This will be our focus today and next week. Not what we cannot know, and perhaps some of those things until heaven, but what the Scriptures do tell us about the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. How do the Scriptures instruct us 
in our relationship with the Holy Spirit? Do we have instructions? Of course that we do. There undoubtedly works of the Holy Spirit that we're unaware of, and we may not understand or even know about them, but I don't need to be concerned with that, nor do you. We want to be concerned with what the Spirit has written, said through the, the authors, said through the prophets, said through the apostles, said through Jesus, and how do we prepare ourselves to receive? Let's continue to look back for a little bit to understand this recorded work of the Holy Spirit uh, before the law. And some of these I'm going to go rather quickly because there's not a need to spend a lot of time. It's just to make sure we understand, again, we already looked at before the world. Before the world began, the Spirit was there. Amen? Hovering, the Spirit breathed life, the Spirit spoke into existence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before the world, already working. But the work would continue, wouldn't it? You guys remember in our study of the book of Genesis, one of Jacob's sons, his name was Joseph, right? Joseph was a man who was very yielded to God, wasn't he? Even from the time he was young, his father noticed it, his brothers loathed it, right? He was very yielded to the Lord. This is key. Wherever we see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of individuals, they were yielded men and women, weren't they? He doesn't work in the lives of rebellious. But yielded men and women. Genesis 41, verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, a couple things stand out that you may not... Uh, one... You may hear some teaching today that the Holy Spirit is only in New Testament believers. That's not what Genesis 41... Now, you say, well, Pharaoh said that. But the Holy Spirit allowed it to be said and written. The Holy Spirit was actually in Joseph. That's what the text tells us. But not only that, when the Holy Spirit is really resident and radiating in our lives, the world can even see it. Though they can't always identify it, somehow the Holy Spirit actually allowed Pharaoh to get this precisely right. And God does that. You know, you know that uh, God has spoken truth to unsaved men in the Bible and women on a number of occasions. That you know, kings of Babylon and kings of Egypt and kings of per- would actually receive a truth, a truth from the Lord. That doesn't mean that they themselves were followers of God. But Pharaoh recognized... Pharaoh recognized that Joseph was filled with the Spirit of God. Whether he himself wanted to follow that same God, different story. But he recognized that Joseph was filled with the Spirit of God. And we know that saints in the Old Testament could be filled inside with the Spirit of God. Now, again, we'll let that thought just stay there and we'll go forward because The point is not to dissect that, but just to know that in the Old Testament, yes, saints were indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily at all times. Does that make sense? Not necessarily at all times, and not necessarily all saints. Again, their sealing, their name in the Lamb's Book of Life, their hope of redemption, all of those things secured by the Spirit, but here we see that Joseph is a man who is indwelled by the Spirit of God. That's before the law. What about before the priesthood? The law uh, would come with Moses, but even when Moses came and the law was given, the priesthood was not in operation immediately. Remember that Moses was given the law, but it wasn't until they consecrate the tabernacle that the priesthood is put into practice and then they begin to follow the order of the priesthood. But Moses was already with the law before the priesthood was put into full operation. But we see in Exodus 31, we just left the book of Exodus, but back in the 31st chapter, you guys will remember, in verses 2 or 3 it says, See, I have called Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, which is not the Levitical tribe, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding 
and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. <clears throat> Notice here, Bezalel is from the tribe of Judah. The priesthood is from the tribe of Levi. But Bezalel is also filled with the Spirit of God. We see the indwelling again. He is given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we see that the manifestation of that, he was given wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Remember back in Isaiah 11 where we started, we see these same elements in the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, in Isaiah 11, we see the same mention of the seven spirits of God in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. We see the same mention of, and it's just called the seven spirits of God, but it's the same sevenfold work of the Spirit. Um, and really, all of the ministry of the Holy Spirit outflows out of those elements of the Holy Spirit. So anything else you see, where truth is, you'll find love. You know, where uh, truth is, you'll find grace. All of those other things that come from the Spirit. But if you and I want to walk in wisdom, we want to walk in understanding, going back to Isaiah 11, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Joseph had it. Bezalel had it. Didn't they? Both had it. Both had the Spirit of wisdom spirit of understanding, and both were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Truly wise men are men filled by the Spirit. What about before the Messiah? Before the Messiah. Turn with me to this passage, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. This is a fantastic passage of Scripture. Numbers chapter 11. Now, in the... Um, Did I lose my place here? One, give me one second here. We'll come back to 24. Look, uh, look for just a second at uh, uh, what kind of leads up to this, what takes place. In verse 14, this is Moses speaking. Verse 14, Numbers chapter 11. He says, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden that is too heavy for me You've got to love this prayer by Moses. Look at this, Nick. If you treat me like this, please kill me right here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Now, uh, back in the verse 12, he said, did I carry them in the bosom? Did I, did I nurse them as a child? He was, uh, the children of Israel were weeping and complaining and driving Moses batty. And he couldn't take it anymore. And he, was, he felt all alone. He said, God, if you love me, please kill me. And give them a new leader. That's what Moses said. But it was out of that cry of desperation that we see a work of the Spirit take place here. And this again, but long before Jesus appears physically on the scene. Jesus does appear in the Old Testament. But again, physically would come later. Drop down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Aren't you glad we just finished the tabernacle? You kind of understand what's going on here. The tabernacle's fully up. All, all of it's been built out. He put 70 men around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, that's another picture of the Holy Spirit, and spoke to him and took of the Spirit that was upon him, who's him, Moses, Moses had this deep anointing of the Spirit, took the Spirit that was upon him, and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. 
But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. And they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Sounds like the disciples, they did this with Jesus in the New Testament. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the peoples were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Same situation all the way back. In a cry of desperation, Moses really was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was leaning on the Spirit. But yet, even in that moment, in his human frailty, he recognized, I've hit a wall. The weeping and whining and complaining of the people have driven me to a place, Father, I'd rather just be at home in heaven with your Spirit. Even though I sense your Spirit, and God says, I hear you. I'm going to raise up 70 men. When we get next week to what happened in the ministry of um, Andrew Murray, this will become really uh, even, you'll see even more uh, what a cool thing God does when we reach these places where we, God wants us to yearn for a greater work of the Holy Spirit. Moses was experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit individually. God wanted to multiply the work of the Holy Spirit up beyond Moses. So he gets 70 men, and, they put them around, and he puts them around the tent, and the Holy Spirit falls upon the 70. And then there's two men that are not around the tabernacle, and the Spirit falls on them as well. And uh, even there, Joshua, who would become the next Moses, is a little confused and says, hold on here, only those of us around the tabernacle fell on the Spirit, and said, Moses, no, 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 those two men were just as yielded as us, and God fell on them as well. My desire would have been that God would have multiplied the work not only upon us, the 70, and those two men, but all the people. And what was the restraining? All the people didn't want that yet. You understand? That's what Moses' point was. He goes, I, I would desire that the Lord would put it on all, and that all the people would be prophets of the Lord. But not all the people were ready and willing to desire that work of the Spirit. In Judges chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read this one. In Judges chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, it said, When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, it's a mouthful, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and he, prepared, uh, he prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim, so the land had rest for 40 years. We see another thing here about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings deliverance. All the way back in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit brings victory. We, in the body of Christ, can actually take real estate from Satan, but only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Satan is the, he's the prince of the power of the air. He actually has a lot of real estate. He owns almost all of Las Vegas. They've named the city after him, Sin City, right? He owns a lot of New Orleans. He owns a lot of New York City, Right? He owns a lot of all kinds. Of, he owns almost all of the Muslim nations. He owns all kinds of territory. But even in his territory, God has raised up men and women that are in his territory. Amen? And as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it only takes one man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see here when Othniel, the son of Canaz, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, not only does he beat an ancient super army, which there, there should be no way that he could have defeated this army, but by the Spirit of the Lord. There's no other way. No other way. 
more amazing than the revolutionary army beating the, the king of England. And yet the Spirit of the Lord, not only does the Lord allow him to take the real estate, but there's rest for 40 years. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's rest. Amen? If you and I need to see the territory that Satan currently owns taken back for the Lord, if we want to see victories and battles won, if we want to see rest, it will only come through the anointing, the falling upon of the Holy Spirit. What if I follow this five-point outline I read in a book? What if I found, right, these articles that said if I have the power of positive thinking, right? You might get a little short-term benefit out of it, but the, the, the deeds of the real estate haven't changed at all, have they? This is one of the reasons that I know that the modern methods of man are not working. You know, you'll have ministries that say, well, this gazillion things going on, and this going on, and this going on, and, the, and still... Revival hasn't come because even in their own backyard, the prison population is still growing, the divorces are still proliferating, uh, the schools are still going farther and further down. All these things are taking place because when really the spirit moves, notice that not just Othniel, but entire, the entire area of Israel was transformed. The whole area experienced rest. And, you know, for us, it has to first start in our house. You know, if there's one place I don't want Satan to have real estate, it's my home. How about yours? It must start there. I cannot first go claim victory at my neighbor's house until I can claim victory in my house. That's why Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When salvation came to Cornelius, it came to him and his whole house. When the Philippian jailer got saved, it came to him and his whole house. When the Spirit of God falls and delivers the man of the house, he often will deliver the whole house. Then that army can go forward and battle. Your little family. This little family. You know, God doesn't need as many people that are here today to wage war. He took David and five smooth stones. Amen? The whole army was completely impotent and worthless. One man filled with the power of God goes and defeats the giant. That's what God is saying to us. Nehemiah 9.20, it says, You also gave your good spirit to instruct them. Nehemiah 9.30, it says, Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets, yet they would not listen. We'll see this in the New Testament. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit, well before Jesus comes physically to the earth, is the Holy Spirit not only would deliver, the Holy Spirit would not only give wisdom, the Holy Spirit would not only give deliverance, the Holy Spirit would not only give rest, the Holy Spirit would not only raise men up, would raise up a nation, but he also would speak those words of conviction and truth. And he testifies the Old Testament, and he testifies now to what we must be doing. He testifies what's wrong in our life, doesn't he? He identifies, this is not of me. He identifies, you're off course. He did it with Israel, he does it with us. He does it with the church, he does it with you individually. All of these things were before the Messiah. And then lastly, let's look this morning at before the ascension, before the ascension of Jesus himself. Now, Jesus comes, and we know that uh, his singleness of purpose was he had the cross and the joy set before him. His whole life was lived to go to Calvary. Everything else that he did in his life was still ordained by the Lord. The teachings, the ministry, the discipleship, we're going to be in the book of Luke together. We're going to learn a lot from Jesus. But while he was teaching, he was always fixated on going to the cross, redeeming mankind from death and from sin. But what was the Spirit doing? What was the role of the Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus before Jesus went to the cross and then ultimately before the ascension? And of course, we know that after the ascension will come Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. And there we start to see this 
expansion or fullness of the Spirit take place. But before we get to all that, and that'll be more of next week, this, uh, what was the Spirit doing before the ascension? Well, in Matthew chapter 120, Joseph was, Joseph was none too uh, excited about finding out that Mary was pregnant, right? And uh, the angel says, and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The life and ministry of Jesus began with the Spirit. There's a parallel for you and I. Our conversion began with the Spirit. Right? The Spirit is the one that illuminated you to truth. The Spirit is the one that illuminated you to conviction. The Spirit is the one that illuminated you to say, it doesn't matter what your friends think, you must come. And the Spirit is the one that began the ministry of Jesus, and the Spirit is the one that begins your ministry with conversion. Then, in Matthew 3.16, we see when he, he being Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Next thing we see in the ministry of Jesus here is that the Spirit... The ministry of Jesus is witnessed or verified by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? It's verified. Now, it, it didn't only get the, the Spirit's verification. The voice of God also spoke. Remember, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father witnesses it. The Spirit verifies it. And, of course, the Son is literally there. You can see Jesus with your own two eyes. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus is there physically. The Spirit descends like a dove witnessing or confirming or verifying that this is the Son of God, and then God the Father speaks from the heavens. So we see the Spirit witnesses or bears witness that Jesus is the Messiah. The Spirit is our seal and bears witness that you and I are the sons and daughters of God. The Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. It says, Tim belongs to Jesus. You, or whatever your name is, belong to the Lord. He witnesses and verifies. He comes and seals. And we'll look at more of this again uh, next week. Matthew 4.1. Then we see, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What is the Holy Spirit doing here? Leading Jesus to the actual den of Satan. Right into you talk about leading into the battle. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit right into the temptation, the 40-day temptation with Satan. What this tells us, now, this was imperative because Jesus began his ministry by prayer and fasting. Uh, the Spirit ministered. The angels also ministered as well. But the Holy Spirit leads Jesus, and we understand that after you and I our conversion began with the Spirit. We're sealed by the Spirit. We understand that now our daily life, even places we don't want to go, is the leading of the Spirit. The trials that come in your life, the difficulties that come in your life, the desert periods in your life, the difficult, all those, the Holy Spirit, yes, He has not forsaken you. In fact, He has sometimes led you straight into the wilderness. The children of Israel found this out, didn't they? They did not go straight to the promised land, which is the blessed life, the spirit-filled life. They first had to go through the wilderness to capture the blessed, spirit-filled life. And Jesus sets the model that right out of the gate, he goes into the desert, but the spirit's there. And if you're in a desert, if you're in a difficult place, the spirit not only knows you're there, the spirit may have actually put you there to learn more of the Spirit. The very Spirit that led you there wants you to capture more of the Spirit and learn, lean on the Spirit and learn from the Spirit. Then in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, 
uh, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. We read, we read from Isaiah 11, but Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare, he will declare justice to the Gentiles. We see another aspect in the ministry of Jesus that's led by the Spirit that also transfers to us as well. Jesus was sent to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of God's hand, be saved, right? To come and proclaim the acceptable time of the Lord. Jesus, was, Jesus came to proclaim, but he did that with the Spirit upon him. You and I, we now share the gospel, the good news, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit upon us and in us that gives us the utterance, that gives us the boldness. That's why John and Peter were noted for their boldness, because the Holy Spirit gave it to them to boldly proclaim the truth and to remember it. And that's why Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, that these things would come forth from us, not in our flesh. And our flesh, we run and hide. We're afraid. What will the cashier think of me? What will my neighbor, I may never get invited to the barbecue. My coworker may never invite me to lunch again if I broach this subject. And by the way, Jesus many times was not invited back to many places. You recognize that, right? But the Spirit gave him the utterance to proclaim the Word and to proclaim salvation. And it was because the Spirit was upon him. If you and I lack the proclamation of the Gospel, we lack the Holy Spirit. We lack the power of the Lord. No, there's, no, there's no question about it. Every single one of these things. If we do not receive where the Lord takes us, we lack the leaning, on the, the leaning and guidance of the Holy Spirit. If we do not have the boldness to proclaim, we lack the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the last one I'll touch on, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is just to give you, again, touch points on the ministry of the Holy Spirit with Christ. John 4, verses 23 and 24, one of my favorite stories of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. He was there with the woman at the well. We'll wrap up with this. It says, but the hour is coming... And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus' worship was always in the spirit. You and I, we cannot truly worship. We can have something that might look like worship, but it will not be true worship unless it's in the Spirit. In the Spirit. That's why Jude talks about praying in the Spirit, which prayer is a form of worship. Obviously, it's a form of obedience. Obviously, it's a cry for help, if you remember back to what Moses was saying. All those things are simultaneously true, employing the principle of duality. We understand that all that operates at the same time. But when we look at worship, God has saved us to be true worshipers but not worshipers in the flesh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to close, when you think about all that we just looked at, I just gave you a one-hour one ride from Genesis to bringing right up to the cross. In that, in that amount of time, I want to go back to one of the most simplistic things that may escape our attention. The primary name, Holy Spirit. What comes before the word spirit there? Holy. This is the essence of the Spirit of God. What do the angels say nonstop in the presence of God? Not love, love, love. Not grace, grace, grace. Holy, holy, holy. Not even judgment, judgment, judgment. Holy, holy, holy. The tabernacle was given the exact dimensions. What was the name of the place where the Ark of the Covenant would be? Holy of Holies. The Holy Spirit is given 
to the children of God. We understand all the work he's doing in the world. We understand his work in creation. We understand his raising up a nation. We understand, but individually, just like his name says, holy, just like the presence of God, just like the Holy of Holies, what the Holy Spirit is doing, what Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is doing and desiring to do is to make you and me holy. When we're holy, what's gone? Well, the spirit of pride, goodbye. Right? The spirit of this world, goodbye. The spirit of self-reliance, goodbye. The spirit of heaviness, goodbye. The spirit of depression, goodbye. When holiness is there, when the Holy Spirit takes control, we become holy vessels. Not holier than thou vessels. Holy vessels. Holy vessels are not holier than thou. They are woe is me for I am undone vessels. But then, you saw how Moses' crying out brought a mighty wave of 70 men rose up and the Spirit fell and the many prophesied. It was in the non-self-reliance and Moses becoming more of the nature of the humble servant of Christ saying, not my will, but thine. I cannot do this. I'd rather be dead and in your presence. God says, you've just emptied a little bit more of yourself. Then he pours in. Let's close.